0: Welcome along to the Brain for Business, Brain for Life podcast with me, Lawrence Snell, where we take the lessons from evidence-based academic research, most particularly involving the brain and behavioral sciences, and translate them in a way that is accessible for leaders and organizations. I'm delighted to welcome to this episode of Brain for Business, Brain for Life, Professor Vesela Duskalova. Vesela is an assistant professor of economics at University College Dublin, a fellow at the Geary Institute for Public Policy and associate faculty at Toulouse School of Economics. As a researcher in the areas of behavioral and experimental economics, microeconomic theory, and political economy, Vesela focuses on the areas of discrimination, social identity, and bounded rationality. As Part of this, much of her research is dedicated to trying to better understand decision-making in both individual, as well as strategic and collective decision-making situations. Vasella, it's great to speak to you.
1: It's very nice to be here, Laurie. Thanks for having me.
0: Maybe let's start with a possibly simple, possibly complex question. How do economists think about discrimination?
1: So economists uh, started thinking about discrimination as early as the 1950s, maybe even uh, a bit earlier. Uh, But there have been two main ways of thinking about discrimination in economics. Uh, One is uh, the approach by Gary Becker in the 1950s. Um, So Gary Becker, who later won the Nobel Prize, uh, he actually wrote his PhD thesis in the 1950s on discrimination. And uh, his idea was that to explain discrimination is due to preferences. So um, his idea was simply that if an employer faces two groups of workers and he has different tastes or different preferences about this group of these two groups of workers. So he dislikes one group um, of workers, he will end up paying workers from the group he dislikes uh, less than their uh, labor is worth and less than the other group. So this is just a very simple model trying to explain why discrimination occurs. And it's in the context of discrimination Uh, by white Americans towards African Americans in the US. So this is the late 1950s. Mm -hmm. Um, So this preference-based model uh, of discrimination has been uh, influential and one could argue it's applicable in many contexts uh, even today. However, um, there's also a second way of thinking about discrimination and um, that was developed uh, independently by uh, two people in the 1970s by two economists, Kenneth Arrow and Edmund Phelps. And um, so they thought that discrimination has to do with stereotypes. Uh, So imagine that there are stereotypes about uh, different groups of people, an employer who has to decide whom to hire Uh, and does not have information on the characteristics of the individual applicant, uh, if he's profit maximizing, he might take the stereotypes into account. And this will influence the decision he makes regarding whom to hire. Uh, In particular, imagine there are two equally qualified candidates, let's call them John and Mary. John and Mary, went to the same school, went to the same university, both did an engineering degree, both have uh, equally good grades, and both have the same level of experience. Uh, Now the employer is facing these two candidates who look the same on paper. Um, And he has to choose one of them. And it's the stereotype that on average, men are better engineers than women. So a profit maximizing employer would take the stereotype into account and would hire the man instead of the woman. So this is Kenneth Arrow's story. Uh, So this gives another explanation of why discrimination may happen, the statistical discrimination model. What is crucial about this explanation is the following. Uh, The first thing is that this is a model uh, in this model, the woman reacts to, to the stereotype as well. So the woman knows that she's facing a higher hurdle. So if she's equally qualified as the man, she's not going to be hired. And uh, because she's maximizing her utility, uh, basically she ends up underinvesting in education. So the idea is here that there are these stereotypes about these different groups of people, and the stereotypes can be self-fulfilling. Um, because with, uh, with the existence of stereotypes and with people being aware of them, uh, people have different incentives to invest in education. So if I'm in a disadvantaged group, I have fewer incentives to invest in education or training and that's why stereotypes might be fulfilled. And the key point of this model that is often overlooked is that this can happen even if the stereotypes are wrong in the first place, even if there's uh, no reason why one would expect that men would be better engineers than women. So even if the two groups have ex ante equal ability, so they have equal ability by birth, they may end up um, investing differently in in, in their career because they're facing different hurdles. So this preference-based model by Gary Becker and Kenneth Arrow's way of thinking about discrimination, the statistical discrimination model, have been two very prominent explanations of why discrimination occurs in economics.
0: You've recently undertaken research into discrimination in groups. Can you perhaps tell us a little bit about this research, what you looked at, what you hoped to find, and, and perhaps also what you did actually find?
1: Yes, so the main starting point uh, of my research on discrimination was the idea that um, we have this very good models of discrimination uh, that I mentioned uh, that explain why discrimination may occur or they give some explanations for why discrimination may occur. Uh, But what I realized at some point is that these models focus on a situation where there's an individual making a decision. So there's one person on the employer side. And in reality, many decisions are taken by groups. So if you think of hiring committees, juries, examination committees, um, there there are a variety of of, of group decision-making situations. And um, so it's unclear whether an individual would make the same decision when deciding alone and when deciding as part of a group. And so this was the key motivation for my research was trying to understand, trying to get at that question. Do individuals behave differently uh, when, uh, when deciding alone and when being part of a group? And also uh, how does the, how do the group identities of the other group members matter? So let's say I'm on a committee, does it matter whether everyone um, on this committee is of the same group? Let's say all uh, are women, all are men, or all are white, or are black? Uh, so does this committee homogeneity or does the diversity of the committee matter for whether discrimination arises?
0: What did you what did you find when you started exploring these group dynamics in discrimination and decision making?
1: So um, what what I was um, What I was looking for specifically here are effects related to in-group, out-group bias. So there's this idea in social psychology uh, that we all categorize ourselves and others into different groups and um, uh, into different categories, into different social categories. And we identify with the social category we place ourselves in. And so uh, this may be a reason why we often favor members of our own group over members of the other group. Uh, Social psychologists have done a long series of experiments on this topic. There are also uh, some economics experiments on this topic, but what's what's striking about this is that this in-group favoritism occurs even if people are randomly allocated to two groups and then they're given some arbitrary label and they engage in some task with their own group prior to making a decision about anonymous members of their own group versus anonymous members of the other group. So there's this, this evidence, previous evidence that in-group bias exists in many situations, even if groups are arbitrarily formed. And so the experiment that I conducted, was in this vein, so so, um, what I wanted to check is, will there be discrimination in different decision-making setups, even if groups are randomly formed? And so um, an experiment is very helpful here because, what we can do is we can assign people to different conditions, keeping all else equal. So in my experiment, people came to the laboratory. I assigned them uh, randomly to two different groups, the blue group and the green group. And I let them undergo an identity building task with their group. And then I later asked them to make decisions about random anonymous members their own group and about random anonymous members of the other group. So there were several treatments and the individual treatment participants in the experiment were randomly assigned to the role of decision makers and candidates. And so decision makers had to decide whether to assign a project, a risky project to a candidate. And in some situations they faced own group candidates. In other situations, they faced other group candidates. But when I'm going to compare the project assignment rate of own and other group candidates, I'm comparing assignment rates of equally qualified own and other group candidates. So I'm looking at uh, discrimination here means does the decision maker treat own and other group candidates differently, in spite of them being equally qualified, in spite of there being uh, no difference in qualifications.
0: And uh, I'm looking forward to hearing what, what you actually found. But before we do that, maybe you, you might uh, give listeners some examples, some perhaps real world examples of in-group, out-group bias. So there are particular things that you can point to or situations you can point to that the people might be able to relate to.
1: Yes, uh, so there are some very nice observational studies uh, that that find um, in-group, out-group bias. And part of my motivation for doing uh, this kind of experimental research, really, so there are some studies, of examination committees in the Spanish judicial system. Uh, that are quite interesting. So in the Spanish judicial system, uh, there's a, to, to decide whether someone goes on to become a lawyer or a prosecutor uh, or a judge, uh, the candidates have to undergo an examination and they have to do this examination under a committee. So this committee could be either male only, which happens uh, in, in a large part of the committees, or it could be a mixed committee with men and women. And so what the authors of the study find is that women candidates actually do not have uh, better outcomes keeping their qualifications equal uh, compared to men candidates if they're examined by a mixed committee. And this is somewhat strange uh, because this is suggesting that um, so all male committees do not uh, treat Uh, women worse than mixed committees in this particular context. Uh, So here, it doesn't seem that there is such in-group bias when it comes to gender, but on the other hand, so this is one example. Another example uh, comes from jury decisions and criminal trials in the US. And so uh, there are some very interesting studies there showing that if there is a black person on the jury, black defendants have a larger chance of being acquitted or a much lower chance of being convicted than if the jury is all white. And so in this example, having someone of the own group actually helps the black defendant. It doesn't have to be in group bias here. It may be that the the black person on the jury is just uh, preventing the other people on the jury from discriminating against the black defendant. But so this is to illustrate that these situations are very complex. So this committee situations we actually have, uh, there are a variety of different things going on in them. So it could be that there are own group preferences. It could be that there are just tastes and stereotypes against certain groups in society, even by members of their own group, by everyone. It could be that there are historical relations between two groups that are fairly complicated. It could be that we there are many unobserved factors that we cannot account for. And so The studies are are really good in illustrating how discrimination can arise in in, in different contexts, but they also show that the picture is not clear cut. So can we expect that diversity in committees helps to alleviate discrimination? And when can we expect this to happen? This this is the motivating uh, question for me in my research. Absolutely.
0: And I can really think when you're talking there about other situations where that kind of in-group, out-group dynamic might play out. Just thinking really simple example of say football supporters of, or sports supporters of any kind. You know, we're all wearing the same shirt. We're all supporting the same team. We're together. And then that might cut across certain boundaries. But then equally someone else is from a different team with a a different outfit. And so they're from a different group. That's the out group. Is is that a fair analogy?
1: Absolutely. I think you're completely right. So there are certain situations in which there is very strong in group bias. And I'd say uh, supporting the same football team is definitely one of them. Now, the crucial point uh, here that I want to make is that Experimental research shows that even in situations where we don't expect in-group bias, it can arise. And the reasons why it can arise can be very subtle. So coming back to to this experiment that I want to tell you about, let me illustrate what happens there. So decision makers make some individual decisions. And I find that in this individual decisions, in-group bias is not strong enough to cause different treatment of own group versus other group candidates. So when making a decision alone, the decision makers do not discriminate between own and other group candidates. But for me, a key question was, how do these decision makers behave when they have to decide with someone else? Does their behavior change? And so in an experiment, we can control or other factors, we can give them exactly the same decision situation as in individual decisions and change just one thing, just ask them to make a decision together with someone else to coordinate their decision with another person and see what happens. And what I observe is I think quite interesting. Um, So what I find is that when they have to make a project assignment decision, together with someone from their own group, there is very strong own group favoritism. So they're much more likely to hire own than other group candidates, even if these candidates are equally qualified. Now, interestingly, this happens only when decision makers have to coordinate their decision with someone from the own group. It does not happen when they have to coordinate their decision with someone from the other group. So if you think of this as a proxy for a diverse committee, so the diverse committee does not end up discriminating between uh, between the two two candidates, Mm -hmm. but in a homogeneous committee, decision makers change their behavior, they behave differently than the way they would in individual decisions. So even if an individual decisions a person does not discriminate, they strongly favor the own group when they have to coordinate their decision with someone from their own group. If we
0: think about that then, what would be some of the practical implications that, that you would think of? So you gave some examples there before, juries or uh, recruitment committees and, and so on. What are the implications for, for people working in those sorts of groups who are involved in making decisions?
1: So that's a very good question. So what this would suggest is that we clearly observe that a diverse committee would discriminate less than a homogeneous committee. So it would be helpful to have diversity in committees, according to what we observe here. And let me just explain the rationale of, of why it would, why I think this is helpful and why it happens. So. Think of the following situation. Uh, you have two people on a committee, let's call them uh, John and Mike, and John and Mike individually, if they had to make decisions on their own, John does not have any discriminatory preferences, does not have any discriminatory stereotypes, does not favor the own group. So when deciding alone, John is a totally unprejudiced prejudiced individual, and he will be equally likely to hire a woman and a man. So he would just you know, throw a coin, hire the woman once, throw a coin, uh, maybe hire the man next time. So he would not discriminate. And imagine the situation with Mike is the same. Alone, he is a totally unprejudiced individual and would not discriminate. Now, what this experiment shows is that when I have to coordinate my decision with someone, who's from my own group, and maybe I don't know this person, I don't know their preferences, I start thinking about what they're likely to do. I have an incentive to coordinate with them. You know, when we sit in committees, we want to get done with the job. We don't want to be there forever. So um, we might not think only about what we want to do in this situation, but also about what the others want to do. And so if we have an incentive to coordinate with someone else, we consider what we think they might do. And if there is an expectation in society that we favor your own group, and I'd say there is in many societies this expectation in many contexts, there is such an expectation. So whenever there is this uh, expectation that we favor your own group, so John, in spite of not wanting to discriminate individually, might just uh, expect Mike to discriminate and Mike, in spite of not wanting to discriminate individually, might expect John to discriminate. And so in order to coordinate, uh, they might end up actually favoring the own group and hiring another man. And this the crucial thing is that this might happen even if they're totally unprejudiced individuals. So, In terms of the the question you asked, um, so what implications does this have for organizations? Well, the implications are not so simple. So as I suggested, in a committee decision-making situation, we have this empirical studies using observational data and uh, these findings of how we might have unexpected results there. So there is a lot going on in a committee decision-making situation, but one element there, one important element there may be that uh, expectations of own group favoritism may be self fulfilling. And so diverse committees may be helpful in tackling this expectations, uh, in, in tackling discrimination there, because they may be breaking the expectations of own group favoritism. But again, I think it is important to consider. Carefully, why discrimination arises in a given situation.
0: If we were to build upon your example there of John and and Mike, what do you think would happen if they were coming together to maybe make a recruitment decision? And John knows, he, he knows for a fact that, for example, Mike is extremely sexist and does not like hiring female candidates. Would that do you think draw them both towards maybe discriminating against a female candidate or or would there be another dynamic that might play out in that context?
1: Oh, that's a very good question and a very hard one, (laughs) (laughs) I'd say. Um, It it depends, right? Um, So one could envisage uh, situations where knowing the bias of the other uh, may lead the person to just conform with their bias. Um, So uh, if the unprejudiced individual knows that the other one is uh, prejudiced and they only have an incentive to coordinate their decision with them, they might just go along. On the other hand, if the unprejudiced individual is strongly and consciously unprejudiced, they might say something about it. And so then a different dynamic might occur. But so what's crucial here is that perhaps it, it's, it's the individual biases, the individual preferences, the individual stereotypes that matter, but also the, the decision-making situation that they're in uh, or the decision-making institution. So is um, a particular committee, let's say, is it uh, conducive to discussing this sort of issues? So it will be very situation dependent. I think one of the points I'm trying to make here is that although there are lots of subtleties, perhaps our goal should be understanding why discrimination occurs in a given context and then building upon that to try to design a collective decision-making institution that mitigates discriminatory biases and so diverse committees may be such a collective decision-making institution that mitigates discriminatory biases but it may be that more than just diversity is required.
0: And in terms of some of those processes then and I'm thinking for say a leader who might be listening to the podcast are there specific processes, specific Mechanisms that you would suggest that they should reflect upon, or, or, or perhaps think about implementing, in order to, to better manage some of those difficult situations.
1: So that's a very good question. I, I think there's probably some research by uh, by Iris Bonnet uh, from Harvard Business School that's worth looking at. Uh, so, from my perspective, I'd say what uh, w- what I think matters here is realizing that there's, uh, that it's important to have equality of opportunity at every stage, because as I mentioned, uh, the statistical discrimination model by Kenneth Arrow, it suggests that if there are different stereotypes about two groups of people, they have different incentives to actually develop. uh, And so we might have wasted potential if there isn't equality of opportunity at, at all stages. So uh, thinking about equality of opportunity is definitely uh, one thing. A second one is just trying to identify why discrimination arises in the particular context we are talking about, because I think to tackle discrimination, we really not need to understand why it arises. And so understanding, is it due to in-group bias? Is it due to stereotypes? Uh, is it uh, due to preferences in favor of particular groups? Is it due to some cognitive biases? Are there other reasons? And then thirdly, as I said, perhaps reflecting on what incentives are we giving people uh, when making decisions in a given context? So are we giving them an incentive to coordinate their decision? Uh, Are we encouraging them to disagree if they find that there's another person who might be biased?
0: Interesting. And I guess one last question, just before we wrap up, there's been a lot of talk in recent years about cognitive bias training and and, and awareness training, often in quite controversial circumstances, some people say it's necessary, other people question the, the value and whether it actually makes unconscious bias worse. Is that something that you've explored at all or come across at all through your own research?
1: So I think it's, uh, it's it's a very open question, to be honest. And as you say, I think there are very nice studies on this. The way I have taught uh, about cognitive factors for why discrimination may arise is discrimination may be due to categorization. So, so this is um, another reason why we may have uh, discrimination arising. I, I'd say there are very good studies on this, uh, really. And my impression is that it's not clear whether cognitive bias training uh, helps uh, or does not help. I do not think it hurts in any way to, to, to make it, to raise awareness of this issue, but it's an empirical question. And so far, I believe it's undecided. If people wanted to find out more about your research, where can they go? So they're welcome to to get in touch, uh, first of all, of course, uh, or to visit my homepage, uh, veseladaskalova.com. I'd also like to say that we have a very nice behavioral economics group at uh, University College Dublin, both at the School of Economics and at the Geary Institute for Public Policy. So uh, they're definitely welcome to, to look at the webpage of the behavioral group at the Geary Institute as well.
0: Professor Vesela Daskalova of University College Dublin, thank you very much for your time.
1: Thank you very much, Laurie.
0: La La Song electronic beat time and dream sequence by Lorenzo's Music is licensed under an attribution share and share alike license.